I was a senior in high school when American forces crossed the Kuwaiti border into Iraq in 2003. President George W. Bush had just given a speech to the nation, and we watched the tanks race across the desert on live TV. I myself had just enlisted and would be leaving for boot camp later that year. And it was in this context that I sat with my youth group, and we began taking prayer requests. Several people suggested praying for the nation and for the military, but I distinctly remember a girl named Whitney suggested that we pray for Saddam Hussein. I was genuinely shocked and slightly bothered by this. I had only recently rededicated my life to Christ and this loving your enemies stuff was still a pretty new concept to me. At the time, the news was inundated with stories of his human rights violations and the brutality of his dictatorship. And yet, as I wrestled with my feelings about this, I could not come up with any justification other than my own feelings not to join in with the prayer. This moment has stuck with me for some time, and it makes me ask myself this. If there would have been a way for me to access Saddam Hussein directly, would I have been willing to lay hands and pray over him if God had asked me? It makes me think about how Christ set the example for us by spending time with, loving, and ultimately dying for sinners. Christ's gift is available to anyone. And anyone means anyone. So let me ask what is maybe an obvious question to you. What are we to do when the Lord calls us, not just to pray for, but to love and to fellowship with people we may not think are worthy of Christ's love? Now think about that for a second, because there is a very easy church answer to insert here, and you might be tempted to gloss over this with that church answer. We know what that church answer is because anyone who has been a Christ follower for a while has been told a thousand times that no sin is too big for Christ. And this, my friends, is true. But what I want us to reflect on this morning is this. Are you willing to accept a new believer into the body of Christ and walk alongside them regardless of their past? Are you willing to accept a new believer into the body of Christ and walk alongside them regardless of their past? Is our love and acceptance of new Christ followers conditional in any way. For myself, as hard as it would have been for me to pray for Saddam, it would have been even harder for me to want to save him a seat next to me at church the following Sunday 
even harder to invite him and sit with him in my small group. Now, let's pick up in Scripture where we left off last Sunday with the conversion of Saul. Saul has arrived in Damascus after his vision of Christ, and he is still blinded by it. Now, let's remember Saul's original purpose there was to round up and arrest Christians. And this is where the story picks up. We are going to read from Acts 9, starting at verse 10. Acts 9, starting at verse 10. I will be using the NLT translation. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Now, let's park here for just a second. I'm going to give a little spoiler warning here of what's about to happen. God is about to do something great through Ananias. But notice it doesn't say that Ananias was a prophet or some kind of church leader. In some translations from the Greek, it doesn't even call him a disciple. It simply calls him a believer. Ananias is just one of a growing number of Christians, but he did not have any special status. God can use anyone that is listening and is prepared to hear his word. So let's continue. Yes, Lord, he replied. Some translations add or say, here I am. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So let's stop here again for just a moment. I can't really say that I blame Ananias for his but Lord here. Think for just a second about what God is asking Ananias to do. This command gave Ananias genuine fear for his own safety. His but Lord is described as something he didn't just say, he exclaimed. Saul was essentially out to commit Christian genocide, and God was asking Ananias to walk right up to this person and share his faith. We'll continue. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So at this point, Ananias could have continued to argue with God, because honestly, anyone who would have known anything about Saul would have had some doubts about what they just heard. 
you're going to make who your what now? Saul? A chosen instrument? Ananias could have very well pulled a Jonas and disobeyed God by running in the other direction. But from what we can tell, Ananias obeyed as soon as God finished giving him instructions, as we will see here in the next few verses. Verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Now notice Ananias' use of the word brother here because it is significant. Back in these times, the birthright inheritance of a son was extremely important. You didn't just go around calling somebody your brother that wasn't actually your brother because that had a connotation of someone who might also somehow have a claim to your inheritance. The use of the word brother here, from one believer to another, from Ananias to Saul, means that Ananias was saying, brother, you now share and have a claim to the same inheritance that I have in Christ. Welcome to our family. But even after his prayer and baptism with Ananias, the church was still having a hard time accepting Paul, or Saul in this case. Let's pick up in verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now I will pose this question again. Are you willing, as God does, to accept a new believer into the body of Christ regardless of their past? Are you willing to do as Ananias did and pray over these new believers? Are you willing, as Barnabas did, to walk alongside these new believers and help them to become part of our family? I want to put a picture on the screen, and I'm curious to, uh, to know how many of you know who, who this is. <clears throat> Can you, yeah, the mugshot up there, thank you. Who, raise your hand if you know who this is. Okay. This is Jeffrey Dahmer. And for anyone who may not know, he was a serial killer who did some of the most heinous things you could possibly imagine to his victims. The story of his killings were known worldwide. He was found to be sane during his trial 
And by his own admission, the crimes he committed were born purely from his own evil and sinful desires. In prison, Jeffrey Dahmer repented and gave his life to Christ. How that happened and the proof of God's grace and forgiveness in that situation is for another sermon. Because today, instead of focusing on Dahmer, I want to focus on another man that I know most of you won't know, and his name is Pastor Roy Ratcliffe. You see, after Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Christ, he knew he needed to learn more about how to follow God. He knew that he needed to be baptized. Many pastors from around the area were asked by the prison ministry to baptize Jeffrey Dahmer, but they were unwilling. Only one, Pastor Radcliffe, said, like Ananias did, Yes, Lord, here I am. Pastor Radcliffe had never been to a prison before and described his apprehensive feelings and hesitations as the prison doors closed behind him. He eventually found himself sitting across the table with the serial killer he had seen on TV and no guards in the room. Like Ananias, there was genuine fear for his own safety. Pastor Radcliffe met with his friend, Jeff, as he eventually would call him, every Wednesday. And after many discussions about his faith, Pastor Radcliffe baptized Jeffrey Dahmer. Shortly after Jeffrey Dahmer's conversion, he was murdered in prison. Many congregants of Radcliffe's church expressed doubt that Dahmer had given his heart to Jesus. And in his book, Pastor Radcliffe even records that one member of his church said, if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, then I don't want to go there. But this pastor who helped make Brother Jeff a new creation in Christ has continued all these years to defend the abundance of God's grace and without hesitation say that Jeffrey Dahmer is now in heaven with people like Ananias, Barnabas, and the Apostle Paul. By the way, if you're wondering, you probably can't see, uh, about the card that Pastor Radcliffe is holding. This was the last card that Jeffrey Dahmer sent to him before he died in prison. The card reads, Thank you for your friendship and for taking the time to help me understand God's word. God bless you and your family. Sincerely, Jeffrey Dahmer. Church, new believers need support. They need answers. They need grace. But most importantly, they need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside them and stick with them through their faith journey. After all, one of the biggest reasons believers give up on the church is not because of the gospel. 
it is because no one in the church is there to fan the flames of these new Christians. So church, ask yourself, are you willing to accept a new believer into the body of Christ and walk alongside them regardless of their past? I'm going to pray over us, and as I do, I would like the band to go ahead and come up. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. May we emulate you by extending that grace to others. May we have courage when you command us. May we be fearless when you ask us. And may we be selfless when we walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I ask you to make this church one that is ready to receive your blessing. I ask that you prune and prepare us so that if you lead dozens or a hundred new people in our direction, that we would be ready to not just welcome them, but to disciple them. Already, Father, there are people who come to this church regularly that may remain on the outskirts. There could be many reasons for this, but let it not be an unwillingness of your followers to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Holy Spirit, move in this congregation today. Forge new relationships. Mend and repair old ones if needed. There is power in encouraging one another. There is power in unity, and there is power in your grace. Amen. Now, chances are you will probably not be asked to lay hands on anyone who is homicidal or genocidal. But you are likely to be asked to pray over and fellowship with Christians who have some scars. And I will say this to those here today who are desperate for fellowship. For those who know they need discipleship. For the forgiven new believer saved by grace and in need of a mentor or just a friend in the church who can be there for you. Maybe you are someone who just still has some doubts. Maybe you accepted Christ long ago, but only a few warm embers remain of what was once a white-hot flame for God. Maybe you have been coming here Sunday after Sunday and still feel alone. For anyone I just described, please listen. Don't give up on the church. Its believers are flawed just like everyone else. And yes, it's shameful to say, but sometimes it takes arguing with the voice of God and a few but lords to shake us out of our comfort zone. That is not a reflection of God's grace. That is a reflection of our own human weakness. Please do not give up on the church. I'll be in the back just over there. If you want to connect or pray with me,
And you know what? If I'm not your style, that's totally fine. There are other people in this church that I would be happy to connect you with. My encouragement for everyone today is this. When God puts another believer in your heart, make a move. God will give you the words that you need to say. And remember this. The person that Ananias prayed with eventually became one of the church's greatest leaders. If you are obedient, God will bless your discipleship of new believers.